Welcome to Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. Today we begin our new sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. In the kingdom of God, everything works in reverse. Join us for the message, The Beatitudes. Welcome to worship here at Trinity United Methodist Church in Duncanville, Texas. You know, in the kingdom of God, everything works in reverse. And we're going to see that later on when we talk about the Beatitudes. Also, I'd like to invite you, if you're not done so this week already, is to give an offering to the ministry of this church. You can do that uh, on our uh, website, tumcd.org, through our church center app, or by writing a check and mailing it to the church. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, beginning with the first verse. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets... Who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. I've mentioned before with you about the wonderful trips that my family and I took for many years. Over a 10 year period, we took nine family trips, and most all of them were to an overseas destination. And our trips came to a bittersweet end when my mother suffered a massive stroke our first night in Vienna, Austria. But other than that terrible night, we made some great memories. And of all those trips, my mother's favorite destination was when when we went on African safari in Kenya and Tanzania. And we saw elephants and gazelles, cheetahs and monkeys and lions and tigers and bears. (laughs) Yeah. We did not actually see tigers and bears. Tigers are in Asia and bears are other places. But we did see about a thousand zebras, I will tell you. Never fear, zebras are not even close to becoming extinct. There's millions of them in Africa. But we also had an opportunity to visit a village of the Maasai Mara people. Now the Maasai are one of many tribes in East Africa, but unlike the others, they've made a deliberate choice to reject the modern world, refuse Western culture, and retain their old traditional way of life. You might think of them as the Amish of Africa. Well, a few of the Maasai's villages choose to open up to tourists, and I found my family's visit to a Maasai village just fascinating. While there, we were invited into one of their homes, and it's really more like a hut, and it's made out of a a combination of sticks and dried mud and scraps of fabric. 
the sticks themselves kind of form a, a skeleton that then the other material is spread over. You have to bend over, though, because uh, they're very short. You have to bend over and go through a short tunnel that's so narrow that your arms are scraping on either side of the tunnel. And once you're inside, there's still not quite enough room to stand up. But there's a cozy fire, and there's a nice bed right there made out of animal pelts, which I thought was very interesting. After we exited the hut, we were led over to where one of the women were making a new hut from scratch. And it was then that we realized that what we had assumed was dried mud, was really dried cow dung. At that moment, if I could have swan-dived into a vat of hand sanitizer, I would have. I was thinking about the fact as our arms were scraping the side of the tunnel, they were really scraping against cow dung. And I guess it really, as I was visiting their home, it's really a good thing I didn't know that. In this case, ignorance really was bliss. Uh, later, my brother summed up our reflections about our visit to the Maasai. He said that from now on, he would remember that no matter how bad life might get, at least he did not have to live in a house made of cow dung. Well, because of my family's experience with the Maasai, I later read with interest a book written by a missionary couple about their life with the Maasai. And the wife writes about one Sunday afternoon when they were invited to one of these Maasai huts after church. And they were desperately trying to build a relationship with trust, a trust with the Maasai in order to be in ministry with them. But the wife that day was just exhausted after sitting through a five-hour worship service on a cinder block bench with a crying baby. And the last straw was when she was offered a generous portion of one of what the Maasai's consider a delicacy called sour milk. Now what the Maasai call sour milk is not what we call sour milk. For us, sour milk is milk that has been spoiled in our refrigerator. We, we, if we accidentally taste it, it's terrible. We spit it out, then we throw it out. We do not spoil our milk on purpose. The Maasai do. They let their milk get so spoiled that it evolves into this thick, thick lumpy concoction. Oh, but wait, there's more. Uh, to give it that extra zing to this floral, chunky brew, they add cow urine. I'm not sure how I would respond to a gift of Maasai sour milk. I can only imagine, you know, swirling my glass. Mmm, fragrant bouquet, fruity yet, yet bovine. Mmm, nice texture, four stars. Well, the missionary wife, who has, as I said, been through a five-hour worship service on a cinder block bench with a crying baby, she responded to her offering of sour milk by having an emotional meltdown which she later was not proud of, but I don't blame her one bit. Now, I can almost guarantee that God is never going to call you to drink cow urine in the name of the kingdom of God. But you notice that I said almost, because in reality I can make no promises about what God might call you or I to do in the name of the kingdom. But we Methodists are a people that have been shaped 
since our very conception as a people of mercy and compassion and good works, people who love justice, who do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And remember that John Wesley and his friends were derisively called Methodists because of their methodical way of going about doing good. Wesley believed in works of mercy and believed that they were a prime means of grace by which God formed and transformed the Christian believer. Though I do have to think that even John Wesley might have drawn the line at cow urine, I'm not sure. I don't think he ever came across that. But in other words, if we want to experience grace and mercy, then we need to become instruments of God's grace and mercy in this world. Well, today we're starting a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. And Jesus' summer, excuse me, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount opens with one of Scripture's most beloved passages, and that's the Beatitudes that Wesley just read. But the Beatitudes are not only the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. In the Gospel of Matthew, they are the very beginning of Jesus' teaching in Matthew. And so you know if Matthew put them first, that means that he is using the Beatitudes to introduce us to the whole of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' mission. Well, there in Matthew, the very first thing that Jesus ever says publicly is, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And it's only a few verses later that um, Matthew writes, When Jesus saw the crowds... He went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. There he began to speak and taught them. And the first thing he teaches them is the Beatitudes. And here Jesus is painting a portrait of what the kingdom of God is. And I might add, in Mark and Luke and other places in the Bible, the phrase is kingdom of God. But in Matthew, Matthew tends to choose to use the phrase kingdom of heaven instead but just so you know kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven can be used interchangeably but here in the Beatitudes Jesus is saying uh, that in God's kingdom or in heaven's kingdom the opposite of what we think is important is what is truly important and the good news of the kingdom comes to those who are not normally the recipients of anything that we might think of as good news in God's kingdom, often, it often works in reverse of how the world usually works. And since these recipients are the beneficiaries of God's good news, then they are blessed. They've already, they already reside in the kingdom of God. In fact, they should be happy. The Greek word that's translated blessed in the New Revised Standard Version and other versions that you might come across is often translated as happy. So here is the Beatitudes. I'm going to say them in a different way than we may normally think of them. Be happy when you're poor in spirit. That is, when you realize how much you need God. Because then you'll find that your riches are in the kingdom of heaven. Be happy with what you have. Because then you'll find that your heavenly Father provides everything that you need. Be happy when you hunger for the things of God. Because then you'll find that only God can satisfy. Be happy when you're caring for others because it is in caring for others that you'll find out how much God cares for you. 
Be happy when you help others to get along peacefully with one another, because it is then that you'll know the peace that comes from being part of God's family. And be happy when others treat you badly because you follow Jesus or because you do the right thing, because your reward is going to be great in the kingdom of heaven. But then there's that, that, that other beatitude that I skipped, because I think it's really hard to say, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Because like most of all, most all of you, I know what it's like to be in deep mourning and to say, happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It can almost sound kind of flippant and even maybe dismissive of persons who are or can be immersed in pain. Years ago, I co-led a mission trip to Juarez, Mexico, where we were helping to start a medical clinic and, and to get it set up. That Sunday, we went to worship in the church that was sponsoring this new clinic. And of course, the worship service was in Spanish, which none of us spoke, but we kind of set off to one side so that one of the translators could translate what was happening into English for us. And during their prayer moments, their prayer requests that they were taking from the congregation, a woman of the congregation stood up and began to share her concern. And as she spoke, she began to weep. And the translator explained that during this last week, this woman's beloved 40-year-old daughter had died very suddenly and unexpectedly from a heart attack at the age of 40. Though we could not understand her words, our hearts went out to this woman because she was in obvious pain. Well, later in the service, we shared Holy Communion. And as we came forward to kneel at the railing, it just so happened that one of the women of our group, a woman named Jody, ended up kneeling right beside this woman who had lost her daughter. And after they received the elements, they stayed there at the railing for a few moments to pray. And this woman began to softly cry. So Jody just instinctively reached out and patted her hand. Well, at that point, that woman held on to Jody's hand for dear life. And though at first Jody was startled by this, she just put her arm around the woman then and held her as this woman began to sob. Jody's act of comfort transcended nationality, ethnicity, it even transcended language itself. And they became just two believers that were crouched there before the altar of Christ and being bathed in the translucent, trans, translucent mercy of God as that was coming in from an, up, from an upper window. But seeing that light come from the upper window and illuminate them reminds us that the kingdom of God is already all around us. And God's mercy and grace and comfort, where they're ours for the asking, so I say to you, receive this grace into yourselves, into your body, and let it fill you up and washing over you and enveloping you and overflowing in you until you find it multiplying within you in the spirit and just shooting out of you out into the world and through which then you become an instrument of God in an otherwise broken world. And I want to invite you, we did the, something like this last week, and I want to invite you to do something like this again. At the thought of being an instrument of God, I would like to invite you 
to stand as you're able and then join me in the prayer of St. Francis. Please stand as you are able. And, and in unison. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, and it's in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it's in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. And now, with the confidence that we have as the children of God, let us pray the prayer that our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Continue to thank God for at least three things every day. And I've already given you one for today, that you do not live in a house made of cow dung. So you just need to come for two more. And now receive this benediction. What does the Lord require us but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with God? So go forth from this place and serve God and neighbor in all that you do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed and were blessed by today's service. Join us every Sunday here on Facebook Live at 11 a.m. Next Sunday, we'll continue our sermon series based on the Sermon on the Mount, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. You'll find audio recordings of all our services on our podcast, Jane's Most Excellent Church Adventure. Remember, we're now worshiping both in person in our sanctuary as well as online. God bless you in the week ahead. We'll see you Sunday at Trinity United Methodist Church.